You're listening to a presentation recorded live at the 2012 National Bioneers Conference. To learn more about the annual conference or Bioneers Productions, including the award-winning Bioneers Radio series, please visit www.bioneers.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Afternoon Bioneers panel. This is the panel on conservation, restoration, biodiversity, and innovative philanthropy. My name is Atosa Sultani. I'm the founder and executive director of Amazon Watch. And uh, we work throughout Latin America with indigenous communities to protect the Amazon. It's my honor to host here with me uh, really three amazing big thinkers and practitioners in the area of large-scale landscape um, conservation, protection, and restoration. Um, we're going to start with hearing an initial uh, introduction by each speaker, and then uh, we'll open it up to some Q&A among the speakers, and then open it up to you, all of you, for questions. Uh, and we're going to have translation by uh, Beto Borges. Thank you, Beto. So we're going to start. I'm going to invite Chris McDivitt Tompkins. She's a conservationist, former CEO of Patagonia, um, who then, with her husband, Doug Tompkins, uh, have been working since 1993 to protect national, you know, huge areas of wilderness in Chile and Argentina uh, to protect and restore um, these, these areas. And together, they've protected over 2.2 million acres. Um, yeah, that's definitely, that deserves a huge applause. By far one of the largest, uh, you know, definitely by far one of the largest areas protected by individuals. And, uh, and they've now started a new organization called Conservation Patagonia, which is working to create additional parks through the system in, in, um, in that region. Is that just in Chile or also Argentina? Both. Both, in both Chile and Argentina. And um, as of 2012, CP had established one park in Argentina's Coastal National Park. And, um, and working to establish another one, a new one, which is 650,000-acre park in Chile's Eisen system. Um, I'm going to introduce the other two speakers uh, right now as well, and then we'll let's just let them flow through it while we give more people a chance to arrive. Our, our next presenter is Dr. Uh, is doctor, I named you a doctor. Sure. John D. Liu, Chinese-American. He helped set up the CB, um, CBS News in Beijing a documentary filmmaker. He's been doing um, a lot of work since the mid-1990s, producing, writing, directing environmental p uh, films in, on the BBC, National Geographic, and others. And then he started the environmental media um, a project, education project in China, the environmental education media project in China, and has helped create the China Environment and Sustainable Development Re Reference and Research Center. Um, his award-winning film, Hope in a Changing Climate, has led to public speaking engagements in six continents. His work is really compelling. Some of you may have heard him last year in Bioneers. was definitely one of the highlights. He's talking about large-scale landscape uh, restoration. So we're looking forward to welcoming him. Of course, um, for many of you who were at the plenary, you heard me introduce our esteemed honored guest, Marina Silva. Marina Silva. Um, is one of my personal heroes. Um, she's currently the president of the Marina Silva Institute. She was raised in the Amazon as in a rubber tapper family and worked um, with Chico Mendez, 
who was um, actually assassinated in 1988 for standing up to ranchers and loggers. Uh, the two of them started the rubber tapper movement. She went on to become a state senator, uh, the senator from the state of Acre for nine years, then was named the Minister of Environment under the Lula administration in 2003. She um, uh, worked with Lula uh, administration to combat deforestation. Her, her, her plan and her actions to, to curtail 1,500 illegal businesses in Brazil ended up uh, reducing deforestation by nearly um, 80% since, since she began this effort. And um, she resigned due to conflict with the Lula administration over policies of large-scale mega-projects and, and um, uh, GMOs. And so she went on to run for the president in the last election in 2010 on the Green Party ticket and um, surprised many when she received 20% of the Brazilian vote and nearly 19 million Brazilians voted for her. She's incredibly, um, you know, uh, great thinker. She's been received many awards, and um, she's one of my inspirations. So we're really lucky to have this amazing panel. We'll, without further ado, I will invite our first panelist, Chris Tompkins, to take us on a journey, Patagonia. Um, hello. Thank you for including me today. Um, as a quick overview, and I do mean quick because there's a clock down here that I'll be very sensitive to, um, I want to go through and tell you how my husband, Doug, and I, and I'm sorry he's not here today, um, really approach our work that reflects our fear for a world that is out of balance, it's really through um, four areas that were largely known for our conservation, and that is the conservation of large-scale landscapes, the restoration of those landscapes, including wildlife, and then um, agriculture and, and activism. I call this a truce because um, I have seen in my own heart the lack of balance between the human and non-human world as we all have or we wouldn't be here. So in some ways, we're looking for a truce that allows both worlds to march forward in some sort of um, balanced way. We get asked a lot in terms of our conservation, why national parks? As, as Atosha said, we've bought just under, or just over 2.2 million acres, and all of those eventually will go into national parks. Um, we're climbers, ski racers, historically, and we grew up within the U.S. National Park Service, and we understand the, the educational and really spiritual value of having these, these lands that belong to all of us, and that's really the core of our, con our land conservation work. We started in Chile. Some of you may have know, known something about Pumaling Park, 800,000 acres of... Um, pristine temperate rainforest goes down from the coast and these uh, very rainy areas up into the high peaks all the way to the border of Argentina. And of course with that uh, we believe in public access and we build a lot of it. And here are just a few examples of the bridge going into the ancient Alerce trees and, and employee housing and so on. 
The first national park we built um, or donated was in 2001, uh, Monteleon National Park on the southern Atlantic coastline of Argentina, 26 miles of coastline, 155,000 acres, which was the first coastal national park of the country. Then came Corcovado National Park in, on the coast, the Pacific coast of Chile, and I don't think he's here at the moment, but Peter Buckley, whom some of you may know, is a partner of this one. And this is a, this is a park that's completely uh, donated to the Chilean people and is, is exactly in the hands where it should be. Here's a picture of the coastline, wild Chilean coastline. Um, one of the big grasslands projects that we have going will be eventually 650,000 acres in Chilean Patagonia. And as you can see by this photograph, it goes all the way from the Andes down into long um, grasslands. Public uh, infrastructure, as you would see in Yellowstone or wherever you visited, uh, trails, campgrounds, restaurant, uh, making way for a lot of visitation in the future and generations to come. And at the same time, in parallel, really working to bring back a lot of the species that have been so hammered over 100 years of overgrazing and, and really persecution in um, southern Chile and southern Argentina. In Iberá, shift your mind up to northeastern um, Argentina, get rid of the mountains, and go flat. This is wetlands and um, savanna. This may be our biggest um, project eventually, close to three million acres by itself. Um, great uh, bird diversity, 400 plus species. Um, shapes and animals that before we got involved here were new to us. This is the capybara. And here we really got our feet wet in not just restoring the lands, but really restoring extirpated species. And this has become one of the big legs of our work. Here you see the giant anteater, which had been extirpated in the 30s. And I'm very proud to say that today, when you go to Ibera, you'll find 30-some giant anteaters with two generations of babies born in the wild. So this is its a longer story than that, but it's definitely has taken us in directions that were really um, new and sometimes alarming. <laughs> now we are headlong into the reintroduction of the jaguar in the Iwara area, uh, the first of its kind. And may I say that the, the country of Brazil is being extremely helpful with this and, and uh, remarkably so. And they have become, in a way, partners with this to see the jaguars reintroduced in northern Argentina. So thank you on behalf of all of us. <laughs> so uh, it just, it's a great example of, of the challenges of, of conservation and restoration. And of course, in all of our projects, we're working with local communities, um, we have felt and continue to feel that unless you really work with the communities um, which are your neighbors, no long-term conservation effort is really going to stand. It won't have the legs. It really has to exist in the minds and hearts of the people who are there that they can benefit from these large-scale conservation projects and not stand alone from them. 
We have schools where we're working for our employees' kids because we tend, we're, all of our projects are out in the middle of what some people would call nowhere. So we work a lot with new generations of kids. Um, we really see them as uh, the real shining light, I think, for the work of most all of us is how, how can we clean up a little bit of what we created and then create new paths for them to follow as they grow. And I just threw this in. Nadine Lehner, who is the director of our foundations here in the U.S., is here with me. And she really is a great example of leadership coming down the pike long after Doug and I are gone. Restoration, the second leg of our work. Um, this is uh, over 300,000 of grassland that really, if it comes back, it will come back on its own. We've essentially taken the livestock off, taken the fences down, worked in some areas to thwart erosion and so on, but often the case in especially grasslands, leaving it alone to take care of itself is sometimes um, the best measure. And uh, we have big volunteer programs where we work, and this volunteer happens to be collecting uh, native grassland seeds, which will later on be put out, um, depending where the conservation directors need it. Agriculture. Uh, if my husband Doug was here today, he would tell you that in the last 22 years of his work, he has come around to thinking that if we don't get agriculture right eventually, we're not going to make very much headway. And as such, we have developed small farms over time, but we have, in the last five years, really committed ourselves to what we call mid-range organic multi-use um, agriculture models. This happens to be in Entre Rios, Chile, excuse me, Argentina, and this is the Laguna Blanca farm, which um, is clearly our biggest channel, I think, challenge of all time, but it's a beauty. And uh, I suppose if we can just develop new models that make this kind of farming possible, we'll, we'll die happily. <laughs> um, you can see that that good agriculture also can become almost like land art. And then the fourth area that we believe in utterly, deeply, and have always believed in is activism. We know a lot of conservationists who are doing incredible work and we, we applaud them, but we also see that it's, it's time now that people who feel like conservation is one thing, but oh, don't ask me to get involved in any sort of activism where there may be some sort of confrontation, even if it's in a conversation. And we believe that they go hand in hand, and especially with the current state of things, that to sit back and um, hope that somebody else does the activism for you is really, um, I don't think it's really a choice today. So activism is our long-time goal. I think we have been involved in rivers, uh, globalized economy. I think some of you have been recipients of our grants over time. We have a long book publishing um, history. Maybe some of you have seen the latest energy book. Anyway, we believe in activism. We are out there. We, we want to be counted among those of you who really see that as, as a responsibility. As, as, as an example of this, and just to close, we have 
a monstrous fight going on in Chile, and maybe it will be, certainly is now, the biggest environmental fight the country has ever seen. And this is the damming of Chile's two pristine rivers, the Bakker and the Pascua in the southern Patagonia region. This is the Bakker River. It's the largest river in Chile. They want to dam it and then send high-tension wires 2,500 miles to the north to supply the mines with, with um, electricity. Massive fight. So I just want to remind us, here's something that's so compelling about one's desire and need to get out. When this dam project was announced, um, there were some riders from south-south Chile and from 82 years old down to babies who began in Cochrane, Chile, which is a teeny town way in the south, and they started to ride, ride north. And as they went, they gathered rider after rider after rider and arrived to Coyhaique and protested the dam. That's, as you can see, is in November of 2007. In Santiago, on May 13, 2011, you have what nobody had seen in Chile in, in recent history. 80,000 people in the streets marching against the dams that might be built in a place they had never visited and many probably will never visit. And that is the strength to us of activism. The dams should have been producing energy by this year, 2012. It's still a fight in the streets. So we, and I say we, really Chileans have been the ones to put this project off against all odds, government, private enterprise, all of it. So uh, that's the spirit we hope to always stay engaged in, excuse me, engage in. And um, I'll leave it at that. I'm just going to read you something that Theodore Roosevelt Jr. Um, wrote in 1912. And uh, I have a few griefs and disagreements with Roosevelt Jr., but by and large, I think he was one of the great fathers of a conservation ethic, anyway, in North America. And he says, said, this country will not be a permanently good place for any of us to live unless we make it a reasonably good place for all of us to live. June 17, 1912. So that gives you a, a general scope of what we're doing, and uh, I guess we'll talk directly in a bit. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Now we go to John Liu. To try to see the thing because I can't see the clock. So I need to start my video thing. No, that's not the beginning. Yeah. Where are we? Okay. Thank you. So if anybody needs to contact me, this is how to get in touch with me. It's real easy. Um, and uh, I'm going to share with you my journey over the last about 17 years, um, trying to find a pathway that leads to sustainability. And it started in China, in the cradle of Chinese civilization, the second place on earth where settled agriculture began.
And in this place, the Lus Plateau, the magnificent early dynasties, the Qin, the Han, the Tang, were, were based. But by a thousand years ago, the place was destroyed. And in 1995, the World Bank asked me to go out there and begin a documentation of this area. And it, this has changed my life because I've just been consistently studying after that uh, ecological function and dysfunction. So what I found was that um, they had followed a trajectory which all the major uh, cradles of civilization have also followed. That they cut the trees, reduced the biodiversity, reduced the biomass, and reduced the accumulation of organic material in the soils. And this led to uh, disruptions to photosynthesis, to nutrient release, nutrient recycling, and to infiltration and retention of rainfall, which is the natural regulation of hydrology, weather, and climate. So you can look at the dysfunction and learn quite a lot. Um, they created a cycle of poverty and ecologic destruction where each generation made the situation worse. Uh, they passed the poverty, the behaviors from, from uh, generation to generation. They had uh, increasing incidence of extreme weather events as they collapsed their ecosystem. So they had flooding followed by drought, followed by famine. And the question that really in 1995 when we first looked at this was whether or not you could actually do anything about this. The question was, is it possible to rehabilitate large-scale damaged ecosystems? And what's interesting about this for the, from the Chinese perspective and then from the perspective that we've looked at in other parts of the world is that they were able to lift tens and hundreds of millions of people out of poverty instantly in one generation. It doesn't take decades or or generations to do this, but you have to understand what it is, and it's a shift in the societal intent. So a shift from choosing to try to produce things to try to have a function. So I found that I got interested in ecological function, so I saw, I learned quite a lot about dysfunction. Now this is what happened in, uh, in China in 1995. This is what the situation looked like, and uh, I showed last year the changes that took place. So this is what they were able to accomplish in, uh, f this was, uh, I guess, 14 years. So that was 2009, just before Copenhagen, when we made hope in a changing climate. So I started to think about what does this mean? And clearly the initial finding is that it's possible to rehabilitate large-scale damaged ecosystems. And if that's the case, then we really have a lot of work to do. <laughs> because there's a lot of degraded ecosystems around the world. And I started looking at exactly how you do this. I think uh, the earlier speaker mentioned 
some of the things. So if you have hydrological disruptions, then it's really necessary to make some engineering. Uh, but once that's fixed, really it becomes a biological issue. And I've been looking at this now for such a long time, I even have um, ideas about, uh, about the cosmologies. So it looks like original sin was the reduction of biodiversity because it leads to the reduction of biomass and the loss of accumulated organic matter and then paradise is lost. But now I've been to 80 countries around the world and uh, I just look at whether the systems are functional and dysfunctional and how, how the human impacts are. And what I'm finding is that in every continent there are pristine systems remaining. And so the evolutionary trends for total colonization of the planet by biological life, the maximizing of uh, and, and differentiation and speciation leading to infinite potential variety in genetics and the accumulation of organic matter, these trends are fine. It's just that we have not aligned our behaviors with them. So what's necessary is for us to understand and do this. So the first stage of this is awareness building. Now we've started to make television programs. We have What If We Change, and my wife, Cosima, has some episodes of What If We Change over there, if you want to get some. And uh, we're, we're now broadcasting in uh, interesting places. We're in uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, uh, Rwanda, Zambia, South Sudan, um, Ethiopia, Somalia, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and Namibia. So what I found was that this amazing biodiversity was giving us, and this accumulation of organic matter was telling us what we needed to do, but that our economic system was completely directed toward productivity. And that by directing toward productivity, we caused a perverse incentive to degrade the ecosystem. And if you do this, then if you pursue pro production, you'll constantly have this perverse incentive. And so what we need to do is to shift to function. It seems like it's the task of everyone who's alive today to try to, to restore ecological function. Otherwise, future generations will not inherit the earth that we understand and know. And also, we have now 7 billion people, and we're adding about a billion people approximately every 12 years. So the social um, and political tensions are enormous. So it's really important to engage all of these people in um, something. And I think that what it is is restoration of ecological function. And so if we were able to do this, we've been looking now at vocational training centers for ecological restoration. We're working with some very big uh, foundation creation to bring about on a planetary scale so as a species, humanity can spread the skills necessary to do ecological restoration. And we're looking at something, I've just come back from Bolivia, and they have something called Living Well, Vivia Bien, and it's, it's just so charming, it's a rationale for 
how to get off materialism and bring the community back to some sort of purposeful thing, which is helping the individual, but it's also helping the community, and it's helping future generations. So this is uh, a really exciting thing for me that we're starting to see that we can choose to take the pathway that leads to sustainability. Because if we go this way and we increase organic material, increase biomass, and protect biodiversity, then we are going to have a fully functional system. There's no biophysical reason why these systems degrade. They're degraded because we value production and consumption higher than ecological function. So the question I would ask everyone, and I ask everyone to repeat after me last year, <laughs> but uh, ecosystem function is vastly more valuable than production and consumption of goods and services. And if a critical mass of humanity understands... The Via of Bien, or living well, is a concept which is emerging from the Andean mountains of South America, from Bolivia, Ecuador, and Peru. The concept recognizes that the global economy has not brought affluence to everyone. In fact, it's created huge amounts of pollution and degraded large areas of the planet. And what they're finding is that by simplifying their lives, they can have clean water, clean soil, healthy foods. They can have more time with their families and communities. And they have beautiful forest landscapes. Now what's interesting about this is that not only are their lives improved, but they are making a major contribution to mitigation and adaptation to climate change. So essentially what I think is happening is on a policy perspective and on a theoretical understanding, we can see that there's a, a way forward. And now we can see in communities that it's not a hardship to, to take this step. It's actually a higher level of consciousness and a higher level of civilization. Thank you. I'd like to now turn the program over to Marina Silva and translating Bibeto. Obrigada, Tosso. Acho que temos aqui exemplos de três coisas que podemos fazer para manter o planeta vivo. We, I believe we have here three uh, examples, uh, examples of three things that we can do in order to keep the planet alive. Um deles é como preservar o que encontramos tal como a natureza nos ofereceu. And one of them is to preserve what we find um, in the way that uh, nature, uh, nature has offered us. O outro é prevenir aqueles efeitos danosos que podem destruir a natureza. And the other one is to prevent those uh, uh, harmful effects that can destroy nature. E o outro é restaurar quando essa prevenção não funcionou. And, uh, and the other one is to um, recuperate um, nature when that prevention has not been possible. É comovente ver esse trabalho ressuscitando a natureza que matamos ou evitando a sua morte. It's, uh, it's touching to see this work uh, um, bringing new life to the, to the nature that it, uh, has, um, was almost dead before. O Brasil é um país 
abençoado com 20% das espécies vivas do planeta. Brazil is a country that is blessed with 20% of the species uh, in the planet. 11% da água doce do mundo. 11% of clean water and potable water in the world. A maior floresta tropical. The largest forest, uh, tropical forest. E como eu disse hoje de manhã, ainda temos a bênção de 220 povos que falam 180 línguas. And like I said uh, this morning, we also have the blessing of having 220 um, people that uh, speak 180 languages. O conhecimento milenar, secular das populações tradicionais associados aos recursos naturais é fundamental para a sua preservação. And um, the millennial um, knowledge that um, local communities have, the local associated knowledge with their natural resources is uh, key, is fundamental to their uh, survival. Eu venho de, de origem de populações tradicionais de extratores de caucho da Amazônia. Um, I come from, uh, my origins are um, from rubber tapping uh, communities in the Amazon. Um, que aprenderam com os índios como manejar corretamente os recursos da floresta. Uh, and uh, these communities, they learned with the indigenous communities how to manage the forest resources properly. Só que a partir da década de 70, uh, o governo começou a incentivar grandes fazendas na Amazônia. But uh, starting in the 70s, uh, the Brazilian government began to promote um, a lot of um, economic development and, and farms in the Amazon. Que era substituir a sua diversidade cultural e a sua biodiversidade por pastagens. Which was uh, in order to substitute this cultural diversity and this, and this biodiversity um, with pastures. Então, foi aí que se levantou uma pessoa muito simples, mas com grande sabedoria. It was then at that moment that a person stood up, a person that was uh, very simple, but with a lot of wisdom. Essa pessoa se chamava Chico Mendes. And this person's name was Chico Mendes. E foi assassinado por ter defendido a preservação da Amazônia. And he was murdered because he was uh, working to protect uh, the preservation of the Amazon. Eu o conheci quando tinha 17 anos. And I met him when I was 17 years old. E desde essa época passamos a trabalhar junto até quando ele foi morto em 22 de dezembro de 88. And since, since I met him, since then, I, we began working together until the day that he was murdered in uh, December 22, uh, two, in 1988. 24 years have gone by since his death, and today in Brazil we have a large contingent of people that don't want to see the forest to be destroyed. Em, 1900, em 2003, quando fui para o Ministério do Meio Ambiente, em 2003, quando eu fui para o Ministério do Meio Ambiente, fui determinada a transformar as boas ideias que existem na sociedade em políticas públicas. Eu fui determinada a transformar as boas ideias que existem na sociedade em política pública. E quando cheguei no ministério, eh, o desmatamento estava no mais alto nível. And when I arrived at the ministry, uh, deforestation in Brazil was at the highest possible level. 
27 mil quilômetros quadrados por ano. Então, nos determinamos a dar um basta nessa situação. So then we were determined to uh, halt the situation. E resolvemos fazer um plano de prevenção e controle do desmatamento. So then we decided to do a plan in order to prevent and control deforestation. Baseado em três diretrizes. Which was based in three uh, directives. Combate às práticas ilegais. Uh, fighting uh, illegal practices. Ordenamento territorial e fundiário. Um, uh, uh, putting, creating a kind of a zoning for um, land zoning and, also, and land tenure. E apoio às atividades produtivas sustentáveis. And also uh, a way to support the, the productive sustainable activities. E com uma ideia básica, política ambiental não pode ser apenas um, um capítulo no programa dos governos. Tem que ser transversal, tem que ser uma política integrada. And with the purpose that uh, environmental policy uh, should not only be a chapter in uh, one part of the government, it has to be a cross-cutting uh, policy integrated in all levels of the government. É, com essas diretrizes, começamos a fazer um trabalho com 13 ministérios juntos. And with these directives at hand, we began to do a, a work uh, involving 13 different uh, ministries, secretaries, distinct secretaries. E em março de 2004 começamos a implementar o plano. Em março de 2004 we began to implement this plan. Uh, o certo é que em 2005 o desmatamento saiu de 27 mil quilômetros quadrados para 18 mil quilômetros quadrados. So then that in 2005 um, the forestation um, dropped from 27,000 square kilometers to 18,000 square kilometers. Em 2006 foi para 14 mil quilômetros quadrados. And uh, it dropped to 14,000 square kilometers in 2006. 2007, 12 mil quilômetros quadrados. 12,000 um, in 2006. E 2011 já são 6.418 km2. Cerca de 80% de redução. So, which is about uh, 80% of reduction. Significando uma redução de cerca de 4 bilhões de toneladas de CO2 equivalente. Which signifies a reduction of about um, 5 billion tons of equi uh, CO2 equivalent. Isso fez com que o Brasil fosse o primeiro país em desenvolvimento a se comprometer com metas de redução de CO2 em Copenhague. Uh, and this led uh, for Brazil to be the first country to, to uh, commit to uh, reduce um, uh, uh, the, the, the codes of, uh, of pollution in Copenhagen. Mas é interessante mencionar um pouco como é que isso aconteceu. But it's interesting to mention a bit how was then that this uh, took place. Em primeiro lugar, tendo a clareza de que não se deve fazer política para as pessoas, mas com as pessoas. First of all, uh, having clarity that uh, we, we can't really do uh, pol politics to people, but we have to do it with people. Nós não somos eleitos os políticos para substituir as pessoas, apenas para representar. We are not uh, elected in order to uh, substitute people, but only to represent them. 
o representante não substitui o representado. The, the representative does not uh, substitute those that he represents. E por isso, é, elaboramos as políticas fazendo o que chamávamos de seminários técnico-científicos. And that's why we elaborated these policies uh, doing what we called uh, to be um, um, technical, scientific technical uh, seminars. É, envolvendo a comunidade acadêmica, empresários comprometidos com a sustentabilidade, setores de governo, ONGs e comunidades locais. So, and this work involved um, the scientific, scientific community, uh, the business sector, also uh, government, NGOs, as well as local communities. Criamos um sistema de monitoramento por satélite em tempo real. We created um, a monitoring, um, a satellite monitoring system in real time. E com as informações do satélite, nós sabíamos aonde estavam acontecendo os grandes desmatamentos. And with the information we got from the satellites, we knew where the big um, uh, deforestation uh, places were happening. Então começamos a trabalhar com apoio da sociedade, mas ao mesmo tempo o Ministério do Meio Ambiente, o Ministério da Defesa, o Ministério de Desenvolvimento Agrário e o Ministério da Justiça. So then we uh, began working with the support of society, the Ministry of Environment, the Ministry of Defense, uh, the Ministry of Agrarian Affairs, as well as the Ministry of Defense, uh, excuse me, the Ministry of Justice. Um, o resultado é que conseguimos colocar na cadeia 725 pessoas envolvidas em crimes ambientais. So the result of this that we were able to put behind bar 725 people involved in criminal um, environmental crimes. Um, como falei de manhã, um, desconstruir 1500 empresas criminosas. As I said in the morning, uh, I took apart 1500 um, criminal companies, enterprises. Aplicar 4 bilhões em multas. And also apply 5 billion in fines. E punir todos os envolvidos no, na cadeia produtiva ilegal. And also punish all of those involved in the illegal um, uh, production chain. Quem desmatava, quem transportava os produtos e quem comercializava. Those that were uh, deforesting, those that were transporting, uh, as well as those that were uh, commercing, selling it. E conseguimos com o Ministério da, da Fazenda uma, uma portaria que passou a proibir o crédito tanto de bancos públicos quanto de bancos privados para os que estavam ilegais. So then we were able to obtain a, a, a mandate uh, with a, gov a federal government mandate which uh, allows, uh, which actually for, forbid a credit to um, both public banks as well as private banks for this kind of activity. O resultado é o que já falei. O desmatamento caiu é, em mais de 80%. So the result was uh, that that already uh, said, um, the forestation fell by 80%. Criamos, junto com isso, 24 milhões de hectares de unidade de conservação. And uh, along with this, we were able also to create um, almost 24,000 um, million hectares, 24 million hectares of conservation areas. 
No Brasil, temos 72 milhões de hectares de unidades de conservação. In Brazil, we have uh, 72 million hectares of uh, conservation unities. É, 10 milhões estão com as comunidades locais de extratores. Um, out of those, 10 million uh, belong to um, local communities of uh, extractors. Sem falar nas populações indígenas que têm os seus territórios demarcados por um regime especial. Not to speak of the indigenous communities who have their territories demarcated by a special regime. O grande desafio é como não deixar que esse desmatamento volte a crescer. So the greatest challenge is um, not to allow that um, this that deforestation returns like it used to be. Em 1900, em 2008, houve uma grande pressão de alguns governos estaduais e de grupos ligados aos desmatadores para revogar as medidas que havíamos tomado no plano. Em 2008, there was a, a huge movement uh, by some uh, local governments and also groups connected to um, those deforesting. Um, In order to uh, undermine what we were doing. Naquele contexto, é, vendo que o governo estava é, quase revogando as medidas que havíamos tomado, pedi para sair. And within that context, noticing, perceiving that uh, the the government was almost uh, uh, overturning uh, those measurements that we had taken, I decided to uh, leave the government. Havia uma expectativa de que com a minha saída e de minha equipe iriam poder revogar as medidas. Uh, there was some type of expectation on the part of the government that with my uh, uh, um, with my, my 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 leaving the government they were going to be able to um, revoke the measurements that uh, had been taken. Ocorre que a nova forma de fazer política exige que sejamos transparentes e que ao mesmo tempo possamos dar visibilidade ao que estamos fazendo. But it turns out that the new form of doing politics requires transparency and also to uh, that it be given um, the, the visibility be given to show what we're doing. Então colocamos os dados do satélite do plano à disposição da sociedade na internet. So then what we did, we put all the data that we had from the satellites uh, um, of our plan, we made that, that data available to society. Polígono por polígono, tal como mostrava o satélite. So, polígono by polígono, uh, like the satellites were showing. O certo é que em um mês de visitação, 47 milhões de pessoas viram os dados. So, the, the, the right thing, the, what, what happened was that within one month of uh, folks uh, visiting the, the data, uh, 47 million people had already seen the, the, the data. E quando eu saí, a opinião pública nacional levantou-se contra a revogação das medidas. So then when I left the government, uh, the national public opinion just stood up, raised up against the revocation of those measurements. Essa é a vantagem de fazer política com as pessoas e não para elas. And this is the advantage of doing politics with people, not just for the people. E foi assim que é, 
não satisfeito esses grupos que querem a destruição das florestas, da biodiversidade, das comunidades locais. This was the way that uh, these groups that they were not happy and, and the, these groups that want the destruction of the forests, the, bio, the biodiversity and the local communities. É, resolveram então mudar a legislação que se via de base para essas medidas. So then they decided to undermine, to change the legislation which um, was the base for these measurements. E agora o Congresso Nacional é, mudou o Código Florestal Brasileiro. And now the Brazilian Congress has changed the forest code in Brazil. Então nós estamos numa ação de resistência é, contrária a essas medidas. So then we are now in a movement uh, trying to resist um, a movement that is contrary to this um, new measurement by the government. O Vitor Hugo diz que nada é mais potente do que uma ideia cujo tempo chegou. Uh, Victor Hugo said that nothing, uh, nothing is more, more potent that idea, uh, that, that an idea whose time has arrived. Mas para as ideias cujo tempo chegou é preciso que tenhamos os homens e as mulheres preparados para ele. But for those ideas whose time has, ar has arrived, we need to have men and women prepared for them. E nesse momento, 84% da opinião pública nacional não quer as mudanças na legislação ambiental. And in this moment, 84% of national public opinion, they do not want to, to see changes in the environmental legislation. Essa é uma demonstração de que é possível preservar, é possível prevenir, e é, mais, é menos custo quando somos capazes de, de, de preservar do que quando temos obri que somos obrigados a ter que recuperar. So uh, and this uh, goes to show that it's it's possible to um, to preserve it is possible to prevent and also shows that it shows that it's more economical more economical to preserve than um, to have to uh, restore like was just shown. É por isso que eu entendo que o desenvolvimento sustentável não é uma maneira só de fazer as coisas. And this is why I understand that sustainable development is not only a way of doing things. É uma maneira de ser. It is a way of being. E nesse momento nós estamos desafiados é? a dar uma resposta diferente para a forma como estamos lidando uns com os outros e com a natureza. In this moment we are being challenged uh, to find a new way, a new way of being in the way that we are dealing with one another and also in the way that we are dealing with nature. É muito importante que Exemplos como esses possam se espalhar pelo mundo inteiro. So it's very important that examples such as this can be uh, um, circulated all over the globe. É isso que eu chamo de é, dispersão agregadora. And this is what I call uh, aggregatory um, dispersion. Para formar uma nova uma nova superfície de sustentação. In order to form a new um, base of sustenance. E podemos fazer com esse passado de destruição, de desrespeito à natureza, algo novo, algo bom para todos. And uh, so that we are able to change this path of uh, disrespect, this path of destruction of nature, to make something new that is good for all. Nesse momento, eu tenho trabalhado muito a ideia de mobilização e educação para a sustentabilidade. And in this moment, I wor I'm working a lot with um, the with the concept of mobili with the practice of mobilization and 
sustenance for, uh, for society and education. E, sobretudo, na ideia de que nós precisamos nos desadaptar da forma como estamos lidando com o mundo, com o planeta. In a way that uh, we need to find a way for us to uh, change our ways in which we uh, deal with the planet. Devemos descontinuar a forma como nós uh, fazemos as coisas. We have to discontinue the way in which we are doing things. Uma espécie de descontinuidade produtiva, criativa. It's a kind of a discontinuity that is productive and creative. A realidade responde na língua em que é perguntada. Reality responds in the language that it, uh, that it is asked. Diz uma pensadora brasileira. Says a Brazilian uh, thinker. A realidade é poliglota. A reality is, um, speaks many languages. Nós é que somos monoglotas. We are the ones who only speak one language. Se fizermos novas perguntas para a realidade, ela nos trará novas respostas. If we ask new questions to reality, reality will bring us new answers. Nós temos bons exemplos aqui de respostas que estão sendo dadas para novas perguntas. And we, here we have good examples of um, answers that are being given to new uh, questions. Mas talvez a pergunta mais importante é o que queremos ser como raça humana. But perhaps the question that is the most important one, it, it is that what it is that we want to be as um, human race. E a resposta com certeza deve ser, no meu entendimento, uma relação de mais respeito uns com os outros, uma and, relação de mais respeito com a gente mesmo e com a natureza. And I believe um, that the answer should be um, a, re a relationship of more respect with one another and a relationship with more respect with nature. Thank you. Wow, that was a lot of great food for thought. I'm feeling very, very inspired. Um, as, as I think across the conversation, um, it, there are some similarities. It seems like um, a lot of, we're hearing a lot about um, a shift in the fundamental principle of our purpose on this planet. Um, we heard from Marina about the way of being instead of doing. Uh, and we heard from John the shift from production to ecosystem function. And we heard from Chris that really it's through uh, creating constituencies of people that care about places so far away and recognize their connection to it, whether it's in their psyche or with the, the animals that are there in their deep ecology, in their deep connection with this place that helps to add to the purpose of, um, you know, to help us be more effective in protecting these areas. So I just, um, also it sounds like each place has a unique strategy. You know, what works in Chile and Patagonia um, with these large landscapes uh, is potentially different than the Amazon where a quarter of the land is indigenous territories or where there are many extractive communities, traditional communities who are the stewards. And you know, in my own role, when I also wear another hat, which is the Christensen Fund um, Board of Directors, and we work with stewards of biological and cultural diversity. And in that, um, some of the studies we've looked at is some of the most biodiverse places on Earth are also the most culturally diverse places on Earth. So indicating some correlation or coincidence 
between culture, thriving cultures and stewardship and language diversity and that how that interweaves with the landscape and the connection with nature. And most of those communities, I would venture, John, you would say that um, there are actually uh, communities that live for the function, ecosystem function as their primary way of being. Um, so I'm hearing a lot of, uh, you know, whole, whole thinking here in this, this um, conversation. I just want to invite, um, you know, invite a little bit more, like tease out a little bit more maybe uh, from the speakers, one more round. You know, Chris, I would love to hear how do you um, build constituencies? So, so much of conservation used to happen in places where, um, you know, it's far away from civilization. And now in those places also we have huge threats like dams and mining. How do you build constituencies to protect those areas? Uh, maybe we start with that and then um, I'll have a, a little bit more question. And that, actually that's a question for all of you. I mean, I think the work you're doing, John, and, and China, how are you using communications tools to involve the masses in this vision of restoration? And the same with Marina, the work, you know, your movement was, you, your candidacy came through the youth, um, really supported by the youth that really helped launch um, the success of the candidacy for president, there is something there, the connection of, you know, majority of Brazilians not wanting, um, not wanting to see destruction of the forest. So that's a question for all of you. The communication, the constituency building, the narrative. Um, yeah, starting with you, Chris. Well, um, to be clear, a lot of the f fights that we get in, we're, participate, we're participants along with... Um, if it's in Chile with a lot of Chileans in our projects in Argentina and Chile, um, Nadine and Doug and I are the only um, non-Chilean or Argentines involved. So these, whether it's fighting the salmon industry along the coast of Chile, which is a disaster, or rivers or mining, um, you name it, we are, we try to augment the natural protest movement that is being generated by the rapacious nature of these activities. Sometimes it's focused against the governments, sometimes it's focused against the companies that are directly engaged on the ground. So um, in many cases, uh, you're just joining in, albeit a small movement, and trying with experience and sometimes financial or just other types of support, you're, you're participating in it and trying to help foment that protest. But in every case, it is the Argentines or the Chileans who are taking a stand on something and um, we feel very grateful that we can participate in a way and expand that, that um, fight, as it were, um, any way we can. So it's always generated at a, hopefully, a very local um, place, such as the dam campaign started with a, a town of 2,000 people and, and other villages with 30 people or 60 people or 200 people. So that's kind of a 10 if you get that kind of groundswell. And these are very underpopulated areas, you know, and that... These things are reaching Santiago and they've already got a little steam under it and then when they hit Santiago, they explode because that's where the people are living. 
So that's kind of how it works in Chile. And, and in Argentina, it's, um, it's tough because the activist community is so small that um, you don't have that kind of um, activism being fomented in, in areas that really should be addressed. So participants. <laughs> um, well, what I've, what I've seen is that, uh, like Dr. Mate said, there's a kind of illness in, in society. And I think that we need to address the cause of this illness, that if we try to, to pick fights in different places, that it's very, very difficult to win each individual fight and that if we, if we have an overarching rationale for a change in the intention of human society to something which is much more sustainable, then each one of those issues will get better. And what I've seen is that uh, there is this fatal flaw in the economic system that by, by trying to pursue productivity and calling this wealth and well-being, that we have actually created huge amounts of poverty and degraded vast areas of the planet, and unnecessarily so. And that really it brings me to question, what is, the, what is money? What is the basis of money? And when, when I look into it and I ask that question, I find that money is a belief system. So it reflects what we value. So what we need is a critical mass of humanity to understand that ecological function is vastly more valuable than production and consumption of goods and services. And when that happens, then our, our monetary system and our economy will change. And then everyone will be a conservationist, whether they understand ecology or not. So you know, now, if we try to convince people who don't believe or agree, it's going to be very, very difficult to get them to understand what we're talking about. The complexity, the level of science is, is pretty intense. And, but if, if we value ecological function as a society and as a, and, and this is going in this way in terms of public policy, public diplomacy, so all of the major conventions now recognize this. And so as, as policy and, and diplomacy goes in this direction, then you have a rationale. Then on the local area, you need to have a way forward. And I think what, what we're seeing is that the concept of living well is giving us that ability. It's not a hardship to smell rosemary and lavender and sit under the fig tree playing with your grandchildren. It's, that is true wealth and true well-being. And to have clean air, clean water, and healthy soils, this is what we need. So, you know, in, in, in doing this, we can then balance the local things together with these global policy things and what's necessary for the future. And I, we're, we're looking at, at uh, vocational training centers that teach these types of skills, seed saving, uh, propagation, nurseries, soil creation, as well as the kind of living well, societal, democratic societies. If we can do this, then I think we'll, we'll create this, this groundswell which will change 
uh, on a planetary scale as a species, we'll be able to do that. Thank you. That seems like a lot um, better sell, you know, championing environmental causes. Uh, so not saying like reduce consumption, suffer, and uh, do without, but rather sit under a fig tree, smell lavender, spend time with your children and friends, and enjoy life. I love that. And want to turn it over to Marina for her reflection. Eu sinto que as pessoas estão cansadas, de certa forma, uma boa parte da sociedade está cansada daquelas lideranças políticas que falam o que acham que as pessoas gostariam de ouvir. I believe that people um, in society, in a certain sector of society, are tired of, um, of those um, political le leaders that speak what they believe people like to hear. Cada vez mais as pessoas estão buscando um, quem se dispõe a liderar pelo exemplo. And more, um, instead, people are more and more are looking for those that have the disposition to uh, lead through example. Uh, e na realidade do Brasil uh, há um descolamento de uma parte da sociedade, sobretudo a juventude, uh, das ideias de poder pelo poder, do dinheiro pelo dinheiro, e as pessoas começam a buscar outras alternativas. Então, and in the reality of Brazil, there's kind of a detachment from part of society, especially in the youth, the people are, are, are trying to find other alternatives other than uh, power for the power, just money for the money. Cada vez mais as pessoas estão buscando políticas de longo prazo. More and more people are looking for um, uh, politics of, that are long-standing, long-reaching, far-reaching politics. E não políticas de curto prazo para alongar o prazo dos políticos and not uh, short-term politics in order to uh, extend the time that the, pol po the politicians are in, in, in power. E quando elas começam a compreender a necessidade de que é preciso investir em energia renovável, agricultura sustentável, na proteção das florestas, em conhecimento, tecnologia e inovação. And when people begin to notice that they have to invest in uh, sustainable a knowledge in agriculture, in the, um, in, in the local communities and conservation. Elas começam a não querer mais saber desse discurso pronto de que vamos nos desenvolver infinitamente como se isso fosse possível. And they no, they are, not, are no longer interested in um, in this kind of discourse um, uh, that we are uh, going to develop in, in any way that is possible. E cada vez mais o cidadão comum vai ele se dispondo a ser sujeito dessas transformações. And always more the, the common folk um, uh, starts to get more disposed for this type of transformation. E para com a ilusão de que vai ter um salvador da pátria, um Messias. And start stop to have the illusion that there's going to be like a savior, a Messiah. I want to give um, a chance to the speakers. If you, before we open it up for question, if you have a burning question for one of the other speakers. 
As áreas que são preservadas, é, como é que depois os grupos econômicos passam a lidar com essas áreas? Se tem uma pressão sobre as áreas depois que elas são decretadas é, de, de preservação? So the question has to do about this uh, preservation areas, these large preservation areas. Where do the economic groups uh, afterwards they continue to exert some kind of economic pressure on these areas? Me? Okay. Chris. Whether afterwards, uh, after the, the, these areas have been created, um, the economic powers of being, whether they exert um, some type of a pressure on these areas afterwards. Okay. Well, um, all the properties that we've purchased have been from private parties. We've never purchased any sort of governmental land. And we've never bought any land anywhere that had any inhabitants, human inhabitants, within their boundaries. So, and all of the places we work are also in areas that have a very low um, population base. So the conflict with our projects has always come from um, taking 800,000 acres of forest out of the production area um, or really that was the one conflict even though the vast majority of those lands are steep slopes and impossible to log them in, in any case. So there hasn't been the kind of ongoing conflict around our areas that you would typically find in, in uh, more populated areas and more in, in conflict zones. I mean, it is clear that wherever you're involved in conservation around the world, there will be some natural conflict between development and conservation. But to that note, it's, I think that one of the, the areas that we work very hard in is working with local communities and assume what we call a good neighbor policy, that the local communities have to see a benefit, which I think I mentioned before, in, in, the, in the existence of these protected areas, a direct economic, usually, benefit. And we work very hard on developing alternative economic systems for any area that we're working within, and often uh, that has to do with tourism and so on. Uh, because we, we're trying to take the long view on these, these projects. We have 12 projects that um, in a hundred years, a hundred and fifty years, how, how can you best ensure that the work you're doing today, these big teams of, our teams of people, not just us, how can, what's the best shot you have for ensuring that these are protected areas a century from now or two hundred years from now? And one of the key components of that is that the people living in these areas see direct benefit and they become these in all of these cases they are the owners of these parks eventually this this patrimony is going back to the Chileans back to the Argentines this, these are going to be their lands so that's how 
we look at longevity, what's the economic reality, the social reality, the cultural reality, and we're guests in those countries. And when we leave and turn out the lights, these are <laughs> These go back to the people that they belong to. So we now have time for some questions from the floor. I see some hands up. Uh, Gary, I think that's you. Come up to the mic. Yes, I'm uh, Gary Martin from the Global Diversity Foundation. Question for John Liu first. Uh, there's been some concern about these large-scale ecological restoration projects being top-down and coercive. Um, how do you prevent that, and how do you make sure that they're ground up, that they're grassroots, and that they're not oppressive? Mm -hmm. And uh, Beto, uh, nice to see you again. Uh, question if you could translate it for Marina. The spectacular results of, in the Amazon are, are, of course, very well known. Some people have said that it's created a shift of transformation from the Amazon to the Cerrado or to the Gran Chaco. And I wondered, how do you broaden the landscape scale and preserve not just the Amazon, but extend that protection to the Cerrado, the Gran Chaco, and to other ecological zones that are less well known, less mediatique, but of course equally valuable in terms of cultural diversity and uh, biological diversity. Yeah, um, on that first question, I, I would say in my experience, you need top down and bottom up because it doesn't matter whether you're in China or in the case, we've seen some results in Ethiopia and in Rwanda, but if the people don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it, they're not gonna do it. So it doesn't work to have a, a simply a top-down. So what, what they've done and what I would highly recommend is to let people understand that it's in their benefit that you know, we, we're facing climate change, biodiversity loss, desertification, extreme weather events, food insecurity. All of these things are happening. And normally where I'm going, I'm looking at si systems that have been massively degraded over historical time. And so if the people continue to do what they're doing, they're just going to further degrade their system. And there's no hope. They know this. And if you ask them, do you want your children to walk behind a buffalo on the side of a hill doing the same thing that you've done? The answer is no, they don't. So they're ready for anything that they can do. If we can put in these vocational training centers and make these community uh, land trusts so that they're owned by the communities, but they have special relationships with the capital formations and the technical transfer then I think it's going to be very, very good for these local communities to get the skill sets necessary because it can employ millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people. Basically, the entire population of the world needs to do ecological restoration. So if, if as a species we do ecological restoration, you know, then future generations are going to inherit a, a world worth living in. Good afternoon. Oh, there was a second question. I'm sorry. No. Um, quando fizemos o plano de combate ao desmatamento da Amazônia, 
é, tínhamos essa preocupação de que o desmatamento não fosse deslocado para o Cerrado, a Caatinga ou o Pantanal. When we um, put in place the plan to, com, uh, to combat, to fight the deforestation in the Amazon, we had this uh, concern that deforestation was, wasn't going to lead to these other uh, um, bioregions in Brazil, the, that of the Cerrado, and, uh, the Chaco and elsewhere. And, and also the Caatinga, the desert uh, in the Northeast. Uma, uma coisa importante é que a legislação brasileira assegura a proteção de todos os seus biomas, que ao todo são cinco. And something that is important within the Brazilian legislation is that it um, secures, assures the conservation of all uh, its biomes, which in total are five. E começamos a trabalhar também um plano de desenvolvimento sustentável para o Cerrado, para a Caatinga e para o Pantanal. And we also began to work in a, a plan for the uh, sustainable development for the Cerrado, the Caatinga, um, and also for the Pantanal, these three biomes. O problema é que agora mudaram a legislação. The problem is that now they changed the legislation. Então as coisas que eram ilegais não são mais ilegais. So then now those things that before were illegal, they are no longer illegal. E vão perdoar quem desmatou ilegalmente mais de 47 milhões de hectares. And they are going to uh, forgive um, those that um, deforested more than 47 million hectares illegally. É, e o desmatamento na Amazônia já voltou a crescer novamente. And deforestation in the Amazon uh, has uh, begun to go up again depois de sete anos caindo consecutivamente. After seven years of consecutive um, uh, decrease. E nesse momento, o Pantanal, a Caatinga e o Cerrado também estão sobre forte ameaça. And in this moment, the Pantanal, the Caatinga and the Cerrado are also under tremendous um, pressure. Então, ac acredito que a sociedade brasileira agora vai ter que pressionar o governo para termos uma política nacional de florestas. So, and I believe that now the Brazilian society will have to pressure the government so that it uh, can uh, have a, a national forestry policy. Brazil tem 60% do território com florestas. Brazil has 60% of its territories with forest cover. Temos políticas para enfrentar a pobreza, para mudanças climáticas, temos política de resíduos sólidos, mas não temos uma política florestal. So we have um, policies to deal with uh, poverty, to deal with the climate, uh, as, as well to deal with um, solid uh, residues, but we don't have a policy for the forest sector. Esse é um momento muito difícil de muitos retrocessos no Brasil. And this is a moment uh, that is very difficult, a moment that uh, we have had a, a lot of um, going back in, in our legislation. E vai precisar de uma forte mobilização para recuperar o que perdemos e avançar na agenda do uso sustentável. So we will need a really strong mobilization in order to recuperate that which we, we've, we lost and to advance in the agenda of sustainable development. Sem falar na ameaça que está também sobre os territórios indígenas. Not speak of the threat upon the indigenous territories. E acaba de e foi aprovada também uma lei no Congresso que dá poderes à presidente para 
reduzir as áreas que já foram criadas de proteção ambiental. And um, a, 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 an amendment has just been approved in Congress in order to give powers to the president to um, revoke um, indigenous areas that have already been created. E ela já reduziu 86 mil hectares nas áreas em que vão ter as hidrelétricas. And she has already reduced 86,000 hectares in the areas where there's going to be the represas. É. Uh, where there's going to be the hydroelectric dams. So, thank you, Marina. We have uh, time for a few more questions. What I'm going to suggest is that we we take um, a round of four, three or four questions, and then have the speakers address. So, if you if you if there's no mic here, go ahead. There's a mic over there. Are they recording? It? I think they need you to say something into that. Just let me just compliment. Uh, I translated indigenous lands. Uh, actually, was uh, conservation units that they have reduced by 80,000 hectares. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for the extraordinary and inspiring large-scale works. My name is Callie O'Neill. I'm a conservation artist from the Big Island of Hawaii. And I met John Leo last year. And my question is about the fourth aspect of what you're talking about which is the innovative philanthropy. Um, so I'm working on an exhibition that can reach millions of people internationally. It was inspired by my work, collaborative work, with an elephant who does the most beautiful abstracts on the planet. And we work together. Um, but I also, the Ramatri, the nonprofit that I've created, which is brand new, wants to do work on the Big Island, which has been massively degraded like the rest of the Hawaiian Islands, uh, to the tune, as you know, of a 90 to 95% degradation of the forests. So would you please talk about this innovative philanthropy? Because I feel, as an artist, designer, researcher, student of sustainability for a long time, and landscape designer, that I've not come into my full power because of the lack of my own training as an artist in the business side. So would you please all address the innovative philanthropy? Thank you. Do we have a few other questions and then we'll do a whole round. Hi, I just wanted to echo the exact same piece of, uh, could you talk about the philanthropy in the funding models for your programs? Thank you. Hi, Randy Hayes. Uh, I'm with the panel in its entirety around the appreciation of ecosystem functions <laughs> and, and valuing of that. Oh, how rude. Um, my question is about commodification of nature. Gretchen Daly spoke earlier about, about um, ecosystem service markets effectively. And I find the difference between putting a price on carbon, which is commodifying pollution, but there's a whole movement to commodify nature. If people could speak to the pros and cons of that. Okay, so we have, okay, one more question and then we'll help me remember these questions. So this question is for Ms. Silva. Um, deforestation worldwide, I guess, is equal to the amount of greenhouse gases that uh, are generated from trans the entire transportation section somewhere around 14 to 17 percent of all greenhouse gases. So my question is, does Ms. Silva see the reduction of rainforest destruction being primarily a country or 
you know, South American? Or how best can the entire world, which has such an investment in seeing that deforestation, you know, uh, come to an end, how does the entire world and the citizens of the world help to participate and support that since the rainforests are really a world heritage for everybody? Okay, so. And all species. Thank you. Thank you for these great questions. We'll start, let me just start with Chris and then just go down the line. I, the two questions on philanthropy would be great. And any of the other questions you want to address? So, um, I'm not exactly sure how to address your comments, but in terms of philanthropy, um, in our own case, we were fortunate to have some means to set up our own foundations about uh, 22 years ago, and through that we funded the stuff you saw this afternoon and also a grant giving program. However, um, Let's face it, nobody ever has enough money. It doesn't matter if you're the Moore Foundation or who you are. Um, so I think that family foundations, big institutions, have absolutely got to join hands, and especially if you need to work fast and on a large scale, and link up partnerships for philanthropy. Um, even the Moore Foundation is looking for partners for some of their Amazon work because nobody really has enough money these days to go after the key issues that, um, and in key areas that really underlie some uh, of the biological collapse that we're all witness to. So that's the first thing. You never have enough money. Um, the good news is that philanthropy in the United States is quite robust. And of course, it's supported by a very effective tax code. Um, and philanthropy, as far as I know, is still growing in the United States. The bad news is, outside of the United States, there are very few places where the tradition of philanthropy exists at all, unless it's perhaps to the church or, or to education or something. So. Um, and it's very hard, we have found, to translate the ethic of philanthropy outside the United States. It's changing a little bit. And I really, I, for instance, I can't speak to Brazil. But I do know in Europe and certain parts of Latin America, it's very tough. So for your work in Hawaii and those someone else asked about philanthropy support, um, it really requires a lot of elbow grease and developing great plans. I think you really have to, and especially coming from the business community, um, be results driven. Be very clear about what you want to achieve, how you think you're going to do it, and be, and really develop a plan with a result. And that's what people are looking for when they're trying to, there's, philanthropic dollars are so scarce that those who have them at any, you know, at any level want to feel that they're going to get the biggest bang for their buck. And that's happening more and more since 2008. There's tremendous competition for a very finite world of, of philanthropic dollars. That's my comment on philanthropy. Yeah, I would just um, add that what 
what's happening now in Europe where basically our funding is, I have a fellowship from the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and what's happening now is that uh, people who envisioned that we're doing um, a kind of awareness building, and it seems to be working. So in some countries, they've rewritten their land use policy laws to reflect the fact that economic development is connected to ecological function. When they do this, for instance, Rwanda now has 8.2% economic growth in a global recession. They've brought back 85% of their highland water, uh, highland uh, hydrological um, resources, which is important because that's the headwaters of the White Nile and the Congo rivers. And they have food security at a time when there's famine in East Africa. So there, it, looks, it looks like this works. And the question is, how do you move from uh, awareness building to action? And in this, I think we need to also engage business models and businesses, because the, my experience of the United Nations and NGOs is that they have great intentions, but they're not very capable at making things happen quickly or at, at, at massive scale. So there's a group called Leaders for Nature, and the Leaders for Nature group has got a lot of corporate executives who have been listening to uh, Ray Anderson and to other, other people talking about what they needed to do. They've already got green roofs, green, uh, green walls, super insulated headquarters, prairies instead of lawns, and they've done all that kind of stuff. So now they're, they're saying, well, what, what is it that, that's not enough. What are we going to do? And so what we've been talking about is vocational training centers for ecological restoration on a planetary scale, so trying to make models for ecological restoration uh, and to you make community um, land trusts so that these things belong to the local communities, but they're connected to large capital formations and technical engineering and management capacity, and that they have this living well concept at the middle so that the intention of all the people working and living in these places is not to acquire more stuff for themselves, but to collaborate with each other in order to do what's necessary to restore ecological function on a planetary scale. And so if that becomes, a, that should be collaborative, so it's not like one institution, it should be many, many, many organizations collaborating on these things. They should be everywhere where there's large degraded ecosystems and large numbers of poor people who need to be engaged. And uh, I'd go even further and say that this might help us with our, our our terrorism and, and war issues because the Wilson Center found that the unifying criteria for all conflict around anywhere in the world was that there were large numbers of adolescent and post-adolescent males who were disengaged. So if you can engage everyone in ecological restoration and they're sitting under the fig tree drinking lemonade and having a good time with their families and communities, I don't think they're going to be as dangerous. So that's that's what I think for th philanthropy. Thank you, John. We have only a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask Marina Silva to address some of the questions around carbon versus commodification of nature and 
The other question about how the world can help protect forests in the tropics. Um, Nesse caso dos créditos de carbono, que é algo que tem ficado mais patente em termos da discussão. I think that uh, in the case of uh, carbon credits, which is something that has been more uh, uh, um, more more emphasized for the discussion. Eles foram pensados no âmbito da Convenção do Clima como adicionais aos esforços nacionais. And, uh, and they have been taught in the Climate Convention as um, additional efforts in, a, in um, complementing the efforts that were uh, in, in uh, complementing the national efforts. E não como se fosse um cheque em branco para que façam é, a degradação aqui e comprar crédito nos países em desenvolvimento. And they were not conceived as a blank check for a degradation to be done on here and uh, to, in order to buy uh, credits in the developing countries. É preciso que o país tenha uma meta de redução. It's important that it's necessary for the country to have a reduction uh, code. Um prazo para cumprir essa meta. A, a target um, in order to fulfill this uh, code. E só uma pequena fração é que pode ser complementada enquanto não consegue fazer isso nacionalmente com a compra dos créditos. And only one uh, small fraction uh, can be complemented uh, until they are not able to achieve that uh, with uh, the purchase of credits. Se esse sistema funcionar corretamente como adicionalidade. So if the system functions correctly with this additionality. Pode ser uma oportunidade para comunidades locais que historicamente preservaram e oferecem serviços ambientais e que nunca são reconhecidas pelos serviços que prestam. Uh, it can provide an opportunity for the local communities to have uh, preserved, conserved uh, the forest historically and have never received um, a way uh, in order, some form of compensation for the stewardship of the forests. Mas é algo complexo, de fato. But it's, it's a truly complex thing. Precisa ser debatido de forma muito transparente. It has to be in a very way. As comunidades devem ser previamente informadas do que, que está em jogo. E que possam ser tomadas decisões em benefício da redução real de emissão de CO2, porque senão a conta não fecha. And there need to be measures in order to really uh, re re reduce the real emissions. Otherwise, uh, the, the final account is not going uh, to work. Não pode ser visto como uma oportunidade de comércio, por e simplesmente. It, can only, it cannot be only perceived as an opportunity for commerce only. Tem que ser visto como um meio para reduções reais de emissão. It has to be seen as a, as a, as a way to really reduce emissions. Se isso acontecer, pode ser bom durante um determinado período nessa fase de transição. And if this can happen, it, it can be positive within a certain period during this time of transition. Mas precisa ser debatido com toda a transparência. But it has to be debated with all transparency. É, em relação à questão da destruição das florestas, se é um problema apenas da América do Sul. And in relation to the destruction of forests, if it is a problem only for um, South America. 
Os países que são detentores das florestas, Brasil, Malásia, Indonésia, Peru, Bolívia, enfim, os países megaflorestais. The countries that have um, uh, large forests, such as uh, Brazil, uh, Peru, Ma Malaysia, uh, uh, Indonesia, so the, the mega forest countries. São soberanos em relação a seus territórios e suas florestas. Uh, they have sovereignty in relation to their territories as well as their forests. Uh, e os maiores interessados em preservá-las devem ser esses países. And those uh, with the highest interest to preserve those forests have to be these countries. Preservando suas florestas fazem um bem para si mesmos e para a humanidade. Because through preserving their own forests, they are doing good for their own uh, selves, but also for humanity. Há um esforço que a humanidade pode fazer. But there is also an effort that humanity can do. Sobretudo os países desenvolvidos. Especially the developed countries. Se reduzirem suas emissões, estarão contribuindo para proteger as florestas, porque aumento da temperatura significa destruição de florestas. If they manage to reduce their emissions, they will be contributing to protect the forests, because the, as temperatures rise, they can also affect the forests. Um, se forem capazes um, de assinar o protocolo de Nagoya, a ratificando a Convenção da Biodiversidade. If they're able to sign the Nagoya Protocol to ratify the Convention of Biodiversity, valorizarão o uso sustentável dos componentes da biodiversidade. They will value the sustainable use of the biodiversity components. Pagando com justiça pelo uso desses componentes e pelos conhecimentos tradicionais associados. Paying with uh, fair price, with justice, by the for the use of these um, components as well as for the associated knowledge. É, isso ajudará a criar emprego, geração de vida digna e diminuirá a pressão sobre as florestas. And this will help to generate uh, work, uh, dignified life, and also contribute to protect the forests. Uma outra forma é exigindo a certificação dos produtos que são produzidos nos países florestais. Another way is to, uh, to, to demand the certification of products uh -huh. that are produced in the countries that have forests. É, para que esses produtos respeitem a preservação dos ecossistemas e as populações locais. In order for these products to respect the preservation of the ecosystem as well as the local communities. São formas indiretas de ajudar sem interferir na soberania, mas que são muito potentes. Uh, these, are our, these are indirect ways of helping without interfering in the sovereignty uh, of these countries, but are also very important. I just want to thank our panelists from the Environmental Education Media Center, John Liu, uh, Chris Tompkins, Conservation Patagonica, and Marina Silva from Instituto Marina Silva. Thank you to Bioneers. Great to meet you. Very much.